Welcome to the New Street X podcast. Today we have Javon Lawrence. He is the CEO and co-founder of Drip. What is Drip? Drip is a live stream commerce platform for physical collectibles and NFTs. They've recently raised a round of $28.5 million. You can consider them the Shopify of live stream commerce. So Javon, thanks so much for being here. Welcome. Please tell us about yourself and introduce yourself. Hey, Tony. Thanks so much for having me, man. Well, so uh, my name is Javon Lawrence, uh, as Tony mentioned. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Drip, and you can consider us the Shopify for live stream commerce, starting primarily within uh, physical and digital collectibles. And maybe as a starting point, Javon, like tell us a bit about the, I guess, the the inspiration for Drip. I know I've read in a couple of articles the stories about you kind of going on Facebook groups looking for Pokemon cards and your yeah. background adventure. However you want to kick things off, like what what if someone asks you how did Drip, the idea first come about, where do you start off and tell that story? Yeah, for sure. So it's it's really a culmination of, of different, I would say, life experiences that I've had. So with the first being uh, moving from Jamaica when I was 10 to Miami, Florida. And when I moved, I, you know, one of the key things I did to, was to start battling Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So I used to battle Yu-Gi-Oh cards against some of the kids in my middle school. And then from there, I actually started to trade those, those Yu-Gi-Oh cards with other folks to get to Pokemon cards as well. And so that, that was a key kind of formative experience. I just became a huge fan of kind of anything that's related to anime and, and still a massive fan of Dragon Ball Z. And then, you know, when, when I went to college, I quickly realized that I didn't actually want to be, you know, become an academic or an economist. And so just started building companies. And one of the companies I built was a streaming company called The New Discussion. And the New Discussion was actually focused on bringing people together from all over the world to discuss different kind of foreign policy and economic issues. Uh, we ended up launching that product and like having people like Anne-Marie Slaughter, who was at the time the senior uh, foreign policy advisor to Barack Obama on, you know, we realized that we actually couldn't turn it into an actual business. So we just turned to a nonprofit. Uh, but that kickstarted a really, really strong interest uh, for me in, in, in streaming as well. And so ended up starting a blog uh, that, you know, in my sophomore year of college, that it's still running. That's really around talk, talking about like second screen interactions and, and live stream as well. And it attempted some other comp- uh, another company in college on live streaming, but it you know the market kind of wasn't quite there, and you know I needed to get some more experience. And so you know fast forward over ten years, you know as an investor, I you know started looking into a lot of what was going on in China and kind of had a thesis around copy from from the U.S. to China. And so you know around you know by by mid twenty twenty, that I actually spent started spending time looking at the live stream commerce space and seeing what was going on in China. I was like. There must be an opportunity here. I looked at a few different markets and categories, but didn't quite see anything. And then around that time, got back interested in, in collecting Pokemon cards. I just had a lot more free time. And I joined a Facebook group called the Pokemon Collectors. And I remember joining a, a rip and ship on a Saturday night. And, and for those who don't know, a rip and ship is basically when you know someone has an unopened pack of cards. You pay for the pack and the, the breaker would just, just rip open that pack. On the stream, so I joined this uh, the stream on on a Saturday night in uh, November 2020, and I saw this guy uh, named Kenny Martinez uh, hosting a rip and ship, and so I ended up buying into it, and I was like, wow, this is like a super cool experience. Like people were super engaged and excited, but what I realized was that the actual product experience was pretty bad, right? the The video was 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 kind of blurry, the the chat was laggy, um, and then people had to pay off platform with and then, you know, I remember like after, you know, receiving the product from, from Kenny, I had 
I was like chatting with him on Facebook Messenger to kind of really kind of complete the transaction. So I just saw that the experience was really, really messy. And I thought I could, we could build a much better experience around that. And so, you know, uh, we started building uh, the product in January, 2021. We, we launched it in April, 2021, about a year and a half ago. And we've been able to grow really, really quickly since then. That is amazing. There's so many different angles there that I want to go down, but I'll try to pick like them one by one. So maybe just to get people at a baseline level of knowledge here. So if someone goes to Drip right now, uh, what 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 is it? How does it function as? Does it function kind of like you go, you have different channels, and what are the kind of products people would be selling? Like, are people on twenty four seven? Is it kind of a Twitch like format? Just so someone can understand, yeah. like, how does Drip actually yeah. work? Yeah, it's a good question. So. In its simplest form, you can think of us as uh, Twitch meets eBay in the simplest form. So you can go on a platform, you join a live stream, and then you can either you know join a live stream where someone is selling Pokemon cards or other TCG or sports cards. You, you may purchase from them via like an auction or buy it now, or maybe even a, a flash sale if they decide to do that. Uh, so we have that all embedded in the platform. And then after you purchase the product, you can then use our platform to actually work through the fulfillment to get that product from them, right? So that, that's the way I'd say that, that's the that, that's our core focus from the user perspective. But I think one thing to kind of say to, different, to kind of really say why we're different here, because obviously there are other players in the market, is we focus a lot more on providing really great seller tooling, right? And so that's why, you know, you'll see in, in, you know, in our marketing that we say that we're the Shopify for live commerce. And that's because, you know, what we fundamentally believe is that you know, there are a lot of really, really awesome sellers in this market that have actually been able to build businesses, you know, before, you know, our platform and anyone else came around. Um, and a lot of them, you know, want to be able to like control as much of that experience as possible. And so we focus heavily on providing sellers with great tooling so they can provide the most delightful experiences uh, for customers possible. So, so I guess like, like Shopify, right? Like, like if I were, you yeah. know, one of the benefits of Shopify is that, you know, if I were to start my own chocolate brand, Shopify is a sort of like white label software where I can, it, it, the, you couldn't tell that I built this this chocolate brand on Shopify because I have all my branding there. I have all the different experience, the exact customer experience I present yeah. there. So I guess for for Drip as well, like let's say I'm a, a streamer of, of Pokemon cards, et cetera. You provide a lot of customization yeah. and allow me to like my, my own personal brand yeah. to be at the forefront. Yeah, for sure. And I can, yeah, I can touch on a little bit of that. So yeah, when we started, you know, a company, as I mentioned before, like we focus a lot on really high production value experiences for streamers. And so the first part of that was just some, doing something called OBS support, where you could basically, you know, similar to Twitch, you can have like a lot of your custom overlays and a lot of your custom branding uh, on top of the stream. Uh, and then we then started allowing streamers to do something called simulcasting, where they could basically go live in as many of their different social platforms as possible. So if they want to go live in their Facebook group, their Instagram, their TikTok, uh, we'd allow them to do that. And the reason why we, we did this was because we realized that once, you know, a lot of these streamers are actually not only live sellers, but they're also content creators, right? And so they want to be able to create content for these other platforms as they're building their brands, right? And then the other bit is uh, that we, you know, continue to do from a seller tooling perspective is actually allowing you know, the streamers to run the streams on their own websites, right? So if you have your own site, you can basically run the stream on there um, and be able to kind of capture and create the community right from your existing website. Got it. So, so I could embed a drip live stream on like my own website as opposed to ha someone having to yes. go to drip.com slash Tony or something like that. It's, exactly. So you could, it could just be like, you know, 
TonySneakershop.com, and Tony, you're hosting your streams, and they're 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 embedded on your website. Well, I, I think it's interesting there is because that's like a slightly, I think it's a slightly evolved product philosophy versus let's say traditional platforms where they want to just kind of capture and like make the experience have more guardrails, you know, to not necessarily let yeah. as much customization, what you see on like a YouTube, for example, Twitch, you know, like there's yeah. obviously customization, but I, I like how you've leaned into customization, uh, providing tools in a way that it seems like other platforms don't. And, and as we, as we know, there's some like very great live stream platforms out there, like putting aside Twitch, but like whatnot, of course, pop shop, but I see, yeah. I'm starting to really understand the sort of differentiation you're talking about, which is, which is interesting. Cause there's, there's so much, yeah. there's so much room for, for live stream commerce, of course. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the, the, to, to your point on live stream commerce, we, you know, live stream commerce by itself is a massive opportunity, right? So in, you know, in a, in Asia last year, it was over $600 billion in, in volume from live stream commerce. And, you know, I think in the U.S. it's going to be a multi-hundred billion dollar business as well uh, as category. And so there are different approaches that platforms will take. So there's a, there's a school of platforms that will take very much like an Amazon approach, right? They want to control as much of the experience as possible, exactly. right? Um, and, you know, and in doing that, they can actually also extract higher take rates from, from people. Uh, and then there's like the Shopify approach, right, which is hey, give your sellers as much flexibility and tooling as possible uh, and also allow them to kind of really tell their stories in unique and delightful ways. So again, I, I think both those approaches are credible. Uh, we just want to focus on, you know, the Shopify approach because we think that, you know, ultimately we, we think that the, the, the best way that sellers can distinguish themselves in this market are going to be way, like ways to kind of tell very unique stories um, and create unique experiences on their streams, right? And so if you see one of the core things, if you kind of go on our platform versus any other ones is like the stream quality um, and the kind of like the diversity in terms of stream kind of content uh, tends to be a lot higher than other players in the market, right? Um, it's kind of more akin to like a Twitch stream, high-end Twitch stream than kind of some of the other kind of streams on other platforms. And, and I think also you think about like the Shopify analogy versus Amazon in a world where we're moving towards, I would say, greater diffusion and personalization of brands, both from like, let's say a D2C platform where someone wants to buy like away suitcases because of the story, the emotional connection versus just like Samsonite. And also someone buying from, let's say, a YouTuber who's launched a makeup brand because someone feels a connection to them. I think the Shopify yep. approach in the future of e-commerce would probably favor more personalized one-on-one -on -one, like customization of like a customer relationship with a particular product and whether it's from an influencer, whether it's from like a D2C brand stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's the way we fundamentally do it, right? Is that again, like we're not the, you know, even though we do have, you know, really, really amazing brand and like there are people that love buying from us and love, you know, hanging out with the streamers on our platform. We fundamentally think that the streamers, are the are the folks that we're powering here, right? Like they're the ones that really matter, and we want to give them as as many tools as possible um, to to be able to be successful. So the streamers and their brands, right? Uh, to to be successful. So like that's that's always been our core focus. Um, even when we you know when we started the company, a lot of you know the a lot of the first I would say the first like ten streamers on our platform were using OBS to create customized overlays for their streams. Like that's just been our approach through and through because we just know that 
we, we know that that's the most valuable thing, especially as you, you go into a market, you know, a market instance where, you know, maybe there's not as much demand for collectibles anymore. And like the experience starts to matter a lot more. Uh, and so having a lot more robust tooling allows you to do that a lot better. Yeah. And, and, and that point about collectibles, right? Like, I mean, obviously at New Street, we care a lot about collectibles, but you could kind of expand the definition to mean like cultural assets, alternative assets. And I think in a world where yeah. uh, you're hedging in a way, like you could also, what you're building could be applicable to everything. And I think we could probably both agree that we're in a world where live commerce, I don't know if there's a ceiling on it, but there's definitely, the ceiling's definitely very far away in the sense that we could get yeah. to a point where people are, buying everything through live commerce, at least if you want to take some directions from Asia in terms of what the potential like upside is for like Western markets. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I definitely think there's, there's, there's a lot of things that we're going to be able to buy, you know, from live commerce. The way I, I would kind of view live commerce is I view it as, you know, as, as a much better interaction on top of e-commerce, right? So if you think about the evolution of e-commerce, so there's e-commerce we won with companies like Amazon, and um and ebay and then there's really com com e-commerce v2 which is uh which is really social commerce so that's really been enabled by uh etsy depop uh poshmark and these are really focused on more kind of community folk like niche type products um that that has some level of social interaction but it's not as as strong and then there's kind of e-commerce v3 which is really live commerce right and live commerce allows you you know, it's, it's, it's almost like it brings you a lot closer to the retail store, right? Because you can kind of create that individual relationship with the seller without actually having to be at the store itself, right? And so we think that, that that's, that's the evolution that we see kind of live commerce as. And so I, I would view that, you know, a meaningful portion of the, the kind of the, the total e-commerce market is actually going to be, you know, we're going to be able to capture some of that in live commerce. So, you know, for context in China, I think about, 20 to 25 percent of the of the e-commerce market there is in live commerce no that's that's amazing i think and i think when we first met last year uh i was telling you about that article i wrote on chinese live streaming because i i was very yeah, interested yeah, in yeah. About, like a little while ago i think a couple yeah. years ago but i it's interesting to me because i think about yeah. how things change but also things stay the same i mean like qvc came out in what the 80s and qvc was essentially like Obviously, I think, there wasn't the internet. I think before that, actually. Yeah, 70s, yeah. right? So, and I, of course, yeah, there wasn't. 70s, you know, yeah. yeah, you couldn't, there was no mobile phones then. There wasn't the internet. But the idea yeah. of like a live discussion on television to sell something, like we, we didn't need to, we don't yeah. need to reinvent the wheel. You just kind of need to like adapt that for the world that we're in now. Yeah. And then I, it, it's fascinating how like QVC, um, that is, that was the thing decades ago. Uh, live stream commerce in China has become has been a thing for many years now. And if you look to the future, maybe COVID in particular also helped. I think e-commerce penetration has also been affected by COVID in, in positive ways. But it's interesting to think about like the time. Yeah, right? yeah. Like if you started Drip yeah. 10 years ago, maybe that would have been the wrong idea versus now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, you know what's interesting? Yeah, I think, you know, to your point, I think market timing is very important. Um, but, you know, I, I think with... You know, I, I think the reason why Drip and, and, and you know, quite a few other platforms have been able to take off is because of category, right? So it's like, you know, it's really focusing on breaking, right? And, and you know, what I would say is that I, I would say that you could have probably started this company, you know, three to five years ago, maybe even five, five to seven years ago even, 
um, and, and still had taken off pretty meaningfully, right? Because a lot of the, the breaking behavior um, has actually been around for a while. Like, you know, I remember chatting with a guy who was at like Beckett 15 years ago and he was like, yeah, man, I was like bo- breaking boxes on YouTube, you know, 15 years ago. And I was like, wow. this." So, so it, it's, again, I think this behavior, especially around breaking has been around for quite a while. It's just been embedded in, in a lot of these like smaller communities and, and COVID really obviously helped to accelerate that from a consumer perspective, uh, demand perspective. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting you bring up the point about like the sort of niche starting point because it's similar to Twitch, right? Like Twitch, yeah. it started off as like for hardcore gamers and arguably, I mean, that's still the core of their audience, but it's, it's, it's Twitch is a lot more of a diverse offering from content versus let's say two, three years ago. So you can imagine yeah. a world where like the offering is... Uh, increasing over time for for live commerce but i i love the um also the the sort of hierarchy of collectibles it'd be interesting to know like if you because because just like you know new street of course we talk about physical collectibles but also digital collectibles and that means everything from let's say a physical pokemon card to like an nft like when it comes to the stuff that the type of products that would be a great fit for drip versus not because sometimes the term collectible i think means a lot of things like where where is like I guess is most of your focus on Pokemon cards specifically or baseball cards too, and then where does the NFT stuff come in? Like where where do you see like the sort of the prioritization of different types of collectibles, physical or digital? Yeah, it's a good question. So you know, one, one thing I would say is that you know there's there's what we want to we're focusing now at Drip versus what we want to do long term. Like our long term vision is you know we want to we want to get to a point where we're we're doing. 100 plus billion dollars a year in, in annualized revenue across all e-commerce, right? Um, but, you know, starting out, we're focusing on two core areas. So the first is, is kind of nerd core, uh, and that's like mostly like trading cards, comics, um, and, you know, we, we also exploring toys as well. And then we're doing increasingly more sports as well. So that's, you know, sports cards and memorabilia. Um, and then NFTs, the way that we're thinking about it, is you know in two ways so first is how nfts intersect with those core categories across nerdcore and across sports um and then you know opportunistically looking at other areas where we see the same type of behavior but maybe it's like it's more native to nfts such as gaming right so you know one of our investors is jeff serlin from axie infinity and you know we we've been able to observe that community quite a bit and, and see like interesting opportunities to be able to tap in uh, down the line with our technology. Well, that's really cool. I mean, do you, and I and I guess you have one like a, a a fixation in terms of like go to market like firstly on on Nerdcore, but I could see a world where I mean, you obviously know this better than I do, but like uh, I, I I know beauty is a really big category in Chinese live stream commerce, right? So people like like Via and these other like major stars um, in China who are live streamers, like beauty is like selling makeup or selling lipstick is something that's huge in Chinese commerce, which should be, I, I don't know, like at what point, but this could be like, I don't know, like there's so many other categories you could get into. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of other categories you can get into. And I think one of the, you know, the, the way that a lot of companies in the market are kind of being built right now, it's, it's really more, again, being an Amazon. And so you're, you're starting with a category and you're trying to build that category as much as possible. And so, you know, there there are a few companies that are actually focusing on beauty in in the U.S. 
Um, now, yeah, they're, they're like you know, two, I think two companies I know of that are focusing on beauty products, right? And that's what they're focused on because they want to cultivate that audience. Um, and so, and so the question becomes, you know, over time, do we actually become, you know, a company that also supports beauty as a category potentially, but it's, it's probably going to take us a long time. But I think one of the core, you know, advantages that we have with our model working to be more of a Shopify is that you know one of the core things we actually want to do is we actually want to enable as many entrepreneurs as possible to create their own TBCs, right? Um, and so what that may look like is that you know a beauty beauty entrepreneur may come to us and say, hey, you know I I have a great talent and I also have you know access to great product and I want to be able to just like run streams on my own website. Can I use your software to do that? And we'd be more than happy to to allow them to do that. Yeah, no, I, I love that element of it too, because again, from like looking at what China has, like you created this sort of cottage industry of like mini live stream celebrities, like the person mentioned, yeah. Dia and, um, I forget they got the lipstick, lipstick King Austin Lee and stuff like that. So do you, are you finding that yeah. already where uh, maybe it's, it's in, in the US, it's too early to have live stream celebs, <laughs> but are, are there people, I guess, I guess, have you found that, let's say someone is a Pokemon influencer already pre-drip, has taken to the platform and built out their brand, or you found like drip native influencer, someone who maybe has uh, grown their brand. Uh, maybe it's too early for that. I don't know, but exclusively by like through breaking and live streaming in the recent years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's uh, you know there are a few on our platform that I kind of won't name, obviously, but yeah, that are, that have been that have done a great job of you know building great brands and you know very large businesses on our platform that have probably become famous as a result of that, which has been super cool to see. And I think there have been others on other platforms that have been able to do the same as well, right? I think some of the, probably some of the bigger names uh, have predated the market, right? So like folks like um, like Layton in, in, in sports cards um, or like, you know, PokeRev or Leonhard and Pokemon, right? That have actually been around and have been doing this stuff long before a lot of our platforms came around. And you know, maybe our platforms have kind of helped to popularize the category, but they've been doing the work for, for a long time. No, this is, it's a really exciting time to, to see this. And I, I love what you're doing. Now, maybe I know, I know you mentioned earlier that you started off kind of doing po Yu-Gi-Oh card battles and then training your way up to Pokemon cards. And then there's a big, you're a big fan of Dragon Ball Z and other anime too. Uh, I, I guess I'd love to know, like, since you've been a fan of some of these collectibles categories and franchises, like, What's your, I mean, do you have any like grails, right? Like now that, you, now that you're working at, at Drip, uh, has this all led to like your, your lifelong dream of getting like a Charizard base set, you know, first edition? Uh, yeah. Do you have any of those that like childhood yeah. grails yeah. that have now become reality? Yeah, I mean, I think one that I have that I'm really excited about is this, uh, you know, it's PSA 8 Rayquaza. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm re really excited about. I'm also like, but you know, I have like a ton of other, like sports cards there but the grills i actually really want to collect is i want to collect like i want to get a collection of all the dragon balls and vhs's like from from dragon ball all the way to like you know dragon is it hard balls to find? Blue saga. Well, i guess because they're VHS. Yeah, I, yeah 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 it's gonna be pretty tough especially on the dragon ball side it's gonna be hard to find because they you know it was released in like the late 80s um in the, Jap the japanese versions too so, <laughs> so yeah yeah so, so that'd be that'd be really really tough to find um so yeah, that's for me. Like, because I'm uh, I'm way more of a, a diehard Dragon Ball Z fan than anything else.
There's there's a new movie that's come out, uh, Dragon Ball Z movie. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I there's there's a new movie. Yeah, there's a new movie, and there's, um, I'm not sure if you saw, but Fortnite is, is doing a Dragon Ball Z collab as well, which is, like, kind of wild, but, yeah. but very cool nonetheless. Like, it's, it's I mean, it, like, just even thinking about, like, their brand and how they've been able to, you know, Fortnite have been able to kind of add in other universes. Uh, it's, it's very, very cool to see, and especially extending to Dragon Ball Z, which is a massive franchise onto itself. It's, it, it's very cool to see. Well, it's it's like Fortnite's kind of becoming more of like a, a platform rather than just a game, and and I I'm not sure like how yeah. their growth or financials are doing are doing this this year versus last, but it's like even Fortnite they even had that Balenciaga collab, right? Wasn't there like like Balenciaga yeah. official yeah. items or characters you can make in Fortnite? So yeah, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think yeah, to, yeah. To your point, I mean, I think wondering like how many brands have actually just purchased properties in Fortnite and other places as well. What, what have you, because I'm curious, you know, you're, you've been a, I, I, I'm not sure if collector is the right term, but you've been like a fan of things like Dragon Ball Z since you were a kid and now getting involved with, with what you're doing with Drip, of course, you probably have very firsthand experience on a daily basis talking to people who are on the platform who are to be probably an early adopter, someone who's like a diehard fan. What are things you've learned about I mean, I want to say collectors, maybe just like collectors slash fans since since starting Drip versus now that have surprised you or some interesting things you've learned about maybe the psychology of people or just like weird random facts about what gets someone excited about these kind of things. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think the, you know, I probably spent a lot more time on the seller side of, of this. Um, but but obviously, you know, it was spent a little bit of time on the, on the, the core collector side. But I think the thing that I've been really surprised by is how, you know, on the seller side, number one, how like very talented and, and, and kind of really kind of multi, multi-talented a lot of these sellers are, right? So a lot of them, what they're doing is, you know, not only are they providing, are they really great streamers, but they also tend to be providing great community experiences, right? So like they're running a Facebook group and they're kind of like keeping folks super engaged and they're also getting product right so they're doing all these different things to kind of get these businesses running and you know once they do it it actually ends up becoming like this amazing unlock for the american dream uh for a lot of these sellers so you know the coolest thing has been seeing how many of them have actually become entrepreneurs in their in a lot of their own right um as a result of being able to sell on our platform and so that's been really really uh, delightful the, the, the next thing that's been really cool to see and you know actually i saw this you know, as a fan, like going to go watch like Dragon, like Dragon Ball Z new movies at, in theaters, like pre-COVID, um, it is, you know, it, you know, from going to all these different conventions, it's, it's just seeing like how people just have an amazing sense of community and belonging from going to these places, right? Uh, and, you know, even though these like spaces seem very niche, like they're actually a lot larger than one would think, right? And, and so I think that's like probably been one of the more surprising sides on the buyer side. I, I think I completely think that these things are uh, these collectible categories, particularly in things like anime are still undervalued and under, at least from like mainstream commercial understanding of the opportunity. Like actually I wrote some articles on that too, actually in the past, but uh, putting aside Pokemon, I think you could have franchises like Dragon Ball Z that 
still just grow over time in terms of like their their connection to people uh, and the commercial opportunities. Yeah. Like let's say I'm not familiar with Dragon Ball Z cards, but I would imagine all the collectibles or cards would still just be increasing in price over the next like 10 years. And it's also interesting to think about the, I mean, we met at Collecticon like for the first time in, in Houston last year. Yeah. And, and it was, a, it was an yeah. interesting, I think from an age perspective too, it's an interesting mix, right? You had people who, let's say, I mean, Eric, you know, for New Street, uh, his daughter is really into Pokemon cards. I think she's like six or eight years old. And uh, at school, it seems like everybody's still into it. But I remember when I was like 10 years old, people were really into Pokemon. So so there's there's so much like a like the half-life of the franchise interests and everything is 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 long. So I'd imagine Drip could have people who are yeah. I don't know, yeah, teenagers, but also could have maybe people who are like 45 that are just diehard fans of Pokemon or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think it's it's great to see how the kind of the longevity and, and how multi-generational a lot of these uh, platforms are. And, you know, to your point, it's like, you know, talking to parents at these cons and like hearing them using it as a point to, to connect with their kids, right? Uh, it's been really, really incredible to see. I will caveat that you have to be 17 or older course, <laughs> to purchase on Drip. So, 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 so if you are, if you are, you know, uh, don't meet that threshold, be sure to be on with your parents. And so one of the, one of the kind of better use cases I've seen is like, you know, one of my friends, like, he's like, yeah, you know, I will, to get my son to, to do his homework, I'll say, Hey, you can go on, we can go on Drip together and I'll, and I'll buy you, you know, some, some packs uh, for them to rip and ship to you. So, um, but but you have to you have to you have to be older than seventeen. Yeah, just very, very clear. There are guidelines yeah. and there's a code of conduct. Yeah. Doesn't just let anyone on there. Um, but like just like with Twitch and stuff, right? There's not just anybody can be on there anytime. Uh, yeah. But that's no, yeah. that's that's amazing because I also imagine that like entertainment is it, it's like again we like at New Street and you know, we think a lot about the psychology of someone who's collecting, let's say, Pokemon cards versus investing in them. Like some people might just be straight yeah. up. I love Charizard because I, when I was 12 years old, I remember watching the Pokemon movie and it had an imprint on my life and I had like a Charizard stuffed toy in, in my bed growing up. Or someone might like yeah. ruthlessly, and, and this is, there's no, this is completely like legitimate and complete respect to this. Someone might have zero love for Pokemon, but he or she just says, oh, I hear Charizard cards go up, went up 40% in price over the last year. Therefore, I'll be buying like uh a Charizard card purely for like an investment perspective is is that sort of delineation between different target audiences yeah. something you're seeing as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think you know, to your point. So there, there are there are investors, uh, there are collectors um, who are kind of like actual fans, and then there the third demographic I'd say is they're gamers as well, who at least for for kind of a TCG play those games and. Yeah, def definitely see that delineation ac across different those different demographics. And, you know, what I would say is that like all three are necessary for an ecosystem to thrive. Right. Um, it's kind of it's kind of with startups. Right. Like you have you have investors, you have founders, you have teams that are, that are all working to kind of build those things. You need all of those parties for any ecosystem to thrive. And, and I think when it comes to the physical collectibles, that part is very much understandable by most people. Though when it comes to digital collectibles, like the NFT side of things, it's a bit less mainstream. So for someone to comprehend that, um, I think it takes a bit more uh, thought process with regards to that. So what, like, what's your take on, 
I guess, the inclusion of digital collectibles and NFTs, maybe just like your overall thoughts on NFTs, because also you have a situation where I believe, maybe not tomorrow, but there's a world where someone could, let's say, tokenize their ownership in a Pokemon card through NFTs and maybe like sell that fractionally. And you're seeing from like uh, sneakers, uh, StockX has already launched NFTs, which represent ownership in higher end sneakers. So the sort of like digital physical connection facilitated by NFTs, it's something that we're seeing in the collectible space for sure. Uh, how's, how's, how's yeah. like, what's your take on that, that relationship? Yeah, 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 for sure. So I think that, you know, especially with the NFT market now that, you know, I, I think that like having an attachment to physical products is, I think going to be a great unlock for, for NFTs, especially to kind of get to the next tranche of adopters in the market. And so, you know, I've personally seen quite a few companies uh, that have been doing, you know, physical card or collectible back NFT assets that are coming into the market. And I think that that's a great way to educate kind of, you know, mainstream consumers about the potential for NFTs for sure, right? And, you know, obviously there are other really great use cases around, you know, how do you kind of, you know, create like POAPs for, for different concerts and other events? Uh, and how do you kind of like use them to also unlock the potential for communities, not all, only on Facebook, but maybe on Twitch and on Reddit, right? Uh, so I think there's a lot of potential for NFTs to kind of latch on to more IRL and physical physically based um, experiences and assets that, that we're, we're only starting to see. No, totally. And, and as you know, at New Street, you know, we're focused on collectibles, but specifically sneakers, trading cards, NFTs. And it's, it's been, it's really interesting to see how things have changed over the last even just year, two years in like the collectible space. So much has happened yep. and we can, we can get in like so many different angles with regards to the elements of collectibles, but maybe uh, yep. from your take uh what what's like maybe the most exciting thing you see in the world of collectibles like right now um that we haven't discussed perhaps yeah that's a good question so i think the thing that i've been most excited about in the world of collectibles uh most recently you know j j just because i'm just getting into it it's, it's definitely sports cards like for us sports is just such a an exciting and, and, and large space that's been really really cool to see um but, you know, I, I think the next bit that I've started to see a lot more is going back to the physical, physically backed uh, NFT collectibles. Like that's been, I've, I've just seen so many companies that are, that are, that are doing that now. Um, and it just makes a ton of sense, right? Because the, one of the challenges with traditional, you know, a physical collectible is that if you think about the, the amount of kind of transaction activity you can have for a physical collectible, there are only you know a few opportunities where you can actually trade that collectible. So, one you could go to a trade show, uh, or two you could sell it on eBay or some other existing marketplace. But because of the logistics of it all, like it may take you, um, you know, a few um, it, may, it may take like a few weeks to actually trade for that collectible to trade hands. And so what may happen is that you can only you're only limited to, to tr having it trade hands maybe twenty to thirty times a year. But if it's an NFT, you can probably trade it like hundreds of times a year, right? Uh, all from the comfort of your living room or, or, or exactly. from on your phone, right? And I think that 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 kind of that amount of liquidity uh, is a great way to kind of actually help to to kind of help the market even continue to grow. No, I I'm so excited about the sort of fidget, fi, I mean, digital. Sometimes some people call it right, physical, digital. Yeah, physical, 
not sure I love yeah. that name, but yeah. whatever. Um, is that so, really a term? I've heard, yeah, fidgetal. fidgetal. Yeah, fidgetal's a thing, man. Um, you gotta, you gotta, that, that you gotta is not, know these things, right? Um, that's what the cool kids I, are calling I, 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 I don't, I don't know, man. That does not seem like a good, good brand. <laughs> I know. As we know, the, there's a lot of that, that, that technology needs to do better rebranding on. Um, but yeah, no, this is, yeah. it's interesting. You know, like we are big fans of, particularly when it comes to like fashion, like see like a lot of NFT fashion. I like like, you know, Artifact obviously being like a pretty big example of where you own, yep. you could own sneakers as a result of owning the NFT. Uh, I love to know about the sports cards because sports cards like, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people in sports cards too, but are there areas that you are most excited about? Because you have lots of things happening, right? Like for example, the rise of like F1 cards, you have uh, basketball cards, uh, you have like celebrity cards, like through like Zero Cool and stuff like that. Are, is there an area of sports cards, just curious, that you yeah. find most exciting? Or is that maybe your personal interest? Maybe you're, you're a, a basketball fan, baseball fan yourself or something. Yeah, so more of... Um... In terms of collecting, I, I prefer NFT, I mean, NFL cards for sure, because I'm, I'm way more of an NFL fan. But I'm also like been getting more interested in cricket cards. Um, cricket? Just because, yeah, I mean, I grew up, I grew up collecting, you know, I, I grew up playing cricket uh, in Jamaica. And so, uh, and, you know, if you think about cricket, you know, after soccer, it's probably the largest, um, you know, l largest kind of like fanfare sport in the world, right? Like I'm sure you you started to see it a lot from from living in the UK, right? But like, you know, every almost every single person in India loves cricket. It's also deeply popular in in Australia, in the UK, and the Caribbean, right? And it's definitely an untapped kind of opportunity uh, market for for trading cards. Yeah, well, I love that because it also tells a sort of international story, like. You know, Sachin Tendulkar, yeah. uh, you know, Indian cricketer, is like the yeah. Babe Ruth of cricket for many people around the world. Not many people, but like hundreds of millions of people, yeah. arguably billions of people around the world would say that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and then, I mean, for for us in the Caribbean, it's uh, it's Brian Lara, who's who's kind of like a legend of of uh, West Indian cricket. West Indies, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, this this is great because, like, again, it to me the internationalization of collectibles is a thing I'm seeing. Like, for example, like F1 was never really popular in America until recently, but most yeah. of the main players are like European. Or, or you have something like I I remember writing about this a little while ago, but uh, soccer cards of let's say English Premier League players, like it, the idea of collecting cards is less. It's it's somewhat common in the UK, but less so than the US. Yeah. But if you think about that. Is that also another like arbitrage opportunity where if you were to buy Premier League cards of the top five biggest players, both vintage or modern, maybe that's something where as card collecting increases uh, in the UK or just around the world, maybe that's like another advantage. So I love the cricket um, example. It's really cool. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Javon, I, I asked the same uh two questions actually to end uh every podcast from the guests the, f the first one being where can people find you uh social media website etc and the second being what is one last message you'd like to leave with the audience great yeah so you know you can find us uh at uh, drip shop live so if you if you just search dripshop.live on your computer you can find us or just search drip.shop.live on any of your social platforms you can find us uh, as well. Uh, the core thing, I, you know, last message I'd leave is, you know, we are rapidly expanding. And so we're looking to to not only hire, but also partner up with, with even more sellers in the ecosystem. So if you're, 
you know, if you're selling uh, Pokemon cards, sports cards, sneakers, or any other things, like, you know, feel free to reach out to us as well uh, if you'd like to figure out how to collab. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, dude. Thanks for listening to New Street X. You can learn more about Javon and Drip in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.